Welcome to the Friday edition of Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is a leading locally owned cleaning company in Calgary. They offer their corporate clients flexible plans and use a dedicated app to keep in contact with their clientele 24 7. Check them out, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. You can check me out on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. We've had a lot of fun with the classic flames lineups on there the last couple of days you can email the show couch potato diary at yahoo.com we have some hockey talk off the top which was more difficult to say than i was anticipating uh, and then uh we'll get into the football and fights friday it is nfl preseason time it or a postseason time rather and it is um the start of the ufc calendar for 2022 as they have a fight night card uh we'll see how many times i can um butcher the name giga chikadze I think I got that one right, uh, but we'll see how many times I can screw that up as the show goes along. But first, Team Canada announcing their women's Olympic hockey roster for the upcoming Olympics, and uh, Sandra Persina helped break all of that down. Very pleased to be joined by, uh, I'll say a semi-regular now for uh, Couch Potato Diary here in the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. It is Sandra Persina. Sandra, thank you and welcome again. Peter, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, likewise, um, and really appreciate you coming on today. We're talking about uh, Team Canada at the uh, Olympics for the women's hockey. The, the roster has been announced, and I guess just first and foremost, your thoughts on the, the roster that we are, in theory, still sending over to, to Beijing in now yeah. a month's time. Yeah, no, really no surprises with this roster to me, at least no major surprises Essentially, everybody there that was from the World Championship back in August will be heading over to Beijing. A couple of last-minute uh, cuts there. Victoria Bach didn't make it. She was with the World's team. Megan Mickelson, blue liner, obviously we know her really, really well. She She's a heart and soul player. She's been with Team Canada for many years, dating all the way back to that gold medal in Vancouver, but unfortunately just a knee injury. Uh, and her rehab just not far enough to make this team and Kristen O'Neill the the other cut so nothing really too surprising essentially the team that you saw win gold in August will have an opportunity to potentially win gold in Beijing why mess with a good thing right like things have been going very well for the, the women's national team and this kind of feels like an opportunity to try to maintain some of that momentum now yeah, it's a really good way of putting it because they kept that momentum going from the Worlds into the rivalry series that they were hosting with the Americans going back and forth across the border. Unfortunately, we know they didn't get a chance to play those last few games because of COVID and whatnot. But I mean, those rivalry series games really, for me, was a continuation of exactly what we saw in August at the Worlds is Troy Ryan has brought this high pace, high tempo energy and style to Team Canada's play and they're able to deploy that versus the Americans very very well and now what we're seeing is even if they do take them to overtime there's this there's this Marie-Philippe Poulain I don't know if you've heard of her <laughs> I hear she, I hear she's pretty good yeah and uh, I like to call her overtime magic because that's all we see and that's all she does so really just fantastic momentum and I, I was asked the other day do you think that having them in a bubble for so long has been a detriment? And I, and you think a bubble can go one of two ways. Having mm -hmm. teams in a bubble can go really, really bad where everybody gets sick of one another 
or you can have epic camaraderie. And it's this one right now. So what we're seeing with this team is months and months of just being with each other, learning from each other, the veterans helping the youth, the youth teaching the veterans a few new things. And I'm really excited to see what comes to fruition in a couple of weeks and if they can truly keep that momentum going from August. I I was going to ask, uh, how has... Excuse me, I'm all choked up thinking about it. Um, how how has um all of this turned around? Because when we were talking ahead of the worlds, we were saying like that this is definitely a rivalry and it has ebbs and flows, but it, it's been rather one sided and not the side we wanted it to be. And basically, apparently, someone heard us and was very upset because since then things have really turned around. Is it just the the style of play um that they've kind of made some adjustments to that that has made the turnaround? Because you look at the rosters and it's pretty well the the same parts on both sides. Head coach Troy Ryan, he has been exactly what this team needs and the type of game that he wants them to play is high tempo, high pace. And what I really like about him is he's got the four lines, obviously, but he deploys them essentially as pairs. Mm. So you've got Poulin and Jenner. They've played together forever, have incredible chemistry. Jenner, Jenner is just so, so smart. Then you go to the second line and you have Dau and Spooner. And then you go to the third line, which is I call the Inferno line because we've got Blair Turnbull and Rebecca Johnston. And then the fourth line with Sarah Nurse and Joel Sonia, really reliable role players. And then you start deploying some of these jack of all trade, Jill of all trade players and the youth. So Sarah Fillier has filled in so nicely on that second line. She is the player to watch in this program going forward. And I think she's going to be the player we watch in February. The first line has been fantastic with Emily Clark. And the third line, Jamie Lee Rattray is a player to me. Oh my goodness, she is so fun to watch because you can essentially deploy her anywhere. If you feel like the first line isn't feeling it, you throw in Jamie Lee Rattray. Third line needs a little bit of help, you throw in Jamie Lee Rattray. So I just, I love the balance of the team. And I love the fact that he's given such big roles to young players. Someone like Sarah Fillier will have the opportunity to play on this second line with two incredible veterans and Natalie Spooner and Melody Dau. And he's essentially being like, go do your thing. You've got these two players to back you up, whether it be, you know, you're going for a late rush and you need somebody to come back and take your player. Like he's just deployed everybody so well. And the chemistry, I know we talk about it so much in sports, but Mm -hmm. You see, you see what it means, and we saw it on full display in August, and I, I think that's going to leak over here to Beijing. For for people who kind of just um, helicopter into to these uh, events, like basically every four years, it's Canada against the USA. All right, let's focus on it. Um, the the strength of Team Canada. Well, when things are going well, it, it looks like what? Oh, that that's a great question. I would probably oh, say, yeah. I mean, it is it is physical. But it's just high tempo. It's relentless. It's nonstop. It's rolling four lines and not really giving anybody a lengthy break on the bench. And I think that's really one of the best things about this team is you've built a team where everybody can play in every scenario. Everybody can be a penalty killer. Everybody can be on the power play, whether you are a forward or whether you're a blue liner. He has faith in all of his goalies, all goalies, all three of them. I mean, Debian, Henri Debian to me is such a fascinating goalie. 
I totally forgot this fact until this week. She has the NCAA shutout record, both men and women. Like she had such oh, wow. a career at Wisconsin and you almost forget about that because mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, you've seen her for so many years wearing the maple leaf. And then your second goalie is Emirates Bashmeyer, who in any other country would be the starting goalkeeper. So you've got this plethora of riches and it's all held together by a leadership group that, from my understanding, isn't super vocal, but they're willing to take each other on the back, on their backs, essentially. So uh, I think leadership is key. Deploying four lines is key and giving the young kids a chance. I think this is Sarah Fillier's opportunity to break out. We're going to be saying her name for a very, very long time. Um, on the flip side, uh, is there an aspect of, of Team Canada's game that, that you think they would like to, to kind of tighten up as we head into th- this rather important championship tournament? If there were one thing that I would nitpick about, it'd probably be the power play. I thought mm. that was of everything that that maybe could have gone wrong was that at the Worlds. It wasn't as precise as they wanted it to be. So I think particularly for Erin Ambrose, this will be her first Olympics. She is the power play quarterback. I think she's really going to want to get off on the right foot. So that first game against Switzerland, I guarantee she's going to be seeing a whole lot of the puck, a lot of the minutes, just so they can figure out how they're going to make things work on the man advantage. And that and that's huge. And of course, we know how big specialty teams are, particularly in women's hockey, because unfortunately, for whatever reason, physicality... <laughs> always seems to get called Mm -hmm. and it I mean that's I don't want to go on a whole tangent about about body checking in women's hockey but let them be physical please don't call a penalty for everything and yet I've noticed with it's just like when you watch the world juniors and you're like oh you're calling that that's how it is in women's hockey they call everything so specialty teams will be something that will be underscored and they'll have to be good uh, first off, if you want to go on that rant here, you very much can. Um, you, you can. I, I think this is one of the only platforms you go on. You're allowed to swear here too, if you need to, um, which <laughs> I, I would imagine might be a necessity when, when having this discussion. Um, so if you feel the need to just get that off your chest, by all means. Well, um, I, 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 w- I will say this. Mm-hmm. So at the Worlds, Canada, US, it's the final round robin game. So much built up by the pundits, including myself. It's like, oh, this is a rematch, this and that. It's going to be epic. Canada starts to run away with it a little bit. In the third period, the Americans decide, okay, let's make a little game of it. And I happen to be sitting. Uh, so the Canadian bench was below me and the media box was above the Canadian bench. So I could hear everything that was going on, everything that was being said. And it started to get a little bit feisty in front of the Canadian bench. And Sarah Fillier, the rookie that she is, she doesn't know better. She's just there playing hockey. She's enjoying the experience of the world. And she cross-checks Brianna Decker, who is an American veteran. She's Mm -hmm. gold medalist, Clarkson Cup champ. I mean, great player for, for the Americans. And she gets up and just clocks Sarah Fillier in the face and Sarah Fillier, she, she bounces off, you know, they get, they both get a penalty, but this is what this game needs, right? It needs physicality because you've listened. The rivalry is already there. You don't have to be like, Oh, we need a rivalry. The rivalry is there, but let them, I'm not saying drop the gloves and duke them, duke it out. 
But I'm just saying, let them be physical. If if they want to jaw at each other, if they want to do a face wash, which I guess they can't do because they're all essentially wearing cages. But if you want to do a little bit of that, let them do it, please. Mm-hmm. Because it's all about, I know with women's sport, goodness, this phrase, grow the game. That's what we want to do. Right. And you want everything to be on an equal playing field. So grow the game, let them play that the way the, they want to play, which is physical. Let them body check. I'm sure of, of everybody, Blair Turnbull would be like, yes, please. I want to body <laughs> check. Like let them body check, please. Yeah. Uh, just anyways. Well, and, and just, <laughs> um, just like to, to kind of build off of that too. Like when, when you don't allow that kind of, um, I guess for lack of a better term, that kind of release when that there is like that intensity, there is that rivalry. And like, sometimes when you get in those, you just kind of got to hit something. And when you can that's when cross checks come in. And that's when, well, I have the stick. It's going to be a penalty anyway. I may as well, <laughs> you know, like it's, th- yep. that's, that's where things can start to take a very dangerous turn. Whereas body contact, we have, I mean, sometimes bad things can happen, but we have a pretty mm-hmm. long track record of it's a relatively safe thing to do. Absolutely. And like you said, release is the key word because you've got so much pent up aggression energy you're going to use it in the wrong way. So use it in the right way with a body check, pinning up somebody against the boards. Yes, let there be scrums after whistles. Let there be some dog piles because they're working just as hard. They have as much adrenaline as, as anybody else does. So let them work it out. I think the game would be tenfold better if you allowed them to do it. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Uh, well, one person who won't be there is Megan Mickelson. You, you mentioned her uh, before, and the the note that she posted on Twitter, I was I was captivated by the whole thing, and I knew how it was going to end. Like it was it, yeah. it was a story that you just got invested in. Um, that that has to be incredibly frustrating for for her, obviously, but a hell of a run to give it a go that quick in recovery. That is incredible, and it doesn't shock me. That's just the mm-hmm. character of Megan Mickelson. She has never given up on any challenge. And I don't know if you saw Erica Weeb's tweet from today. She's over working at, at Winsport there. Mm. And Megan Mickelson is back. She's rehabbing today. She's out there. <laughs> of course. You know, so she got cut from the Olympic team. And there she is still rehabbing her knee because she still wants to be part of centralization, wants to be part of the program. I'm sure she'll have a spot in the PWHPA here with the Calgary team. I mean, mm-hmm. that is just, that's all you need to see. Listen, 30, 37 years old. And again, it's not, it's not old. 37 is not old. The only reason is you look, that was a bad knee injury. Essentially her knee blew out in every single way possible. And you're a blue, you're a blue liner. You're expected to play a lot of minutes and the game is continuing to evolve where it's, it's a pace game. It just, it wasn't meant to be, but my goodness, if that's not somebody for kids to look up to, that resiliency. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. Um, on, on the American side, um, like again, a lot of the same players that we were familiar with over the last little bit, but, but how does this version of the, the U S Olympic women's team look? I'm going to say it looks pretty much what we're going to see, what we saw rather here mm. in Calgary in August. I don't think we're going to see anything too different. Yeah, they're going to be they're going to be poised for a repeat at the top of the podium. I I think they they probably have a a nasty taste in their mouth from mm-hmm. losing in overtime here, and they don't want to see it happen again. And 
listen, they worked really hard to win that Olympic gold. I mean, it took them a shootout to do it. It's not yeah. like it was an easy victory. It, it could have gone either way, essentially. So I think the Americans will absolutely be up for the task. They're motivated. They are mm. so motivated. They're going to come in with a chip on their shoulders and they want to repeat. Uh, you, you mentioned how, how close these games normally have been. And I, I meant to double back on this when you're talking about the, the power plays, but that does make those, um, the, 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 the times you have an extra player and that advantage does make it that much more key when these two teams, aside from one, one of the last meetings, but it, I mean, it, it kind of makes it, like that much more impactful when these two teams just have to play one goal games all the time, basically. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just, I have the rivalry series statistics here. So they did get a chance to play five games, two regulation wins for Canada, two overtime wins for Canada, one overtime loss for Canada. So really what's deciding those games, essentially it could be something on specialty teams Yeah. or it could, or it could be pulling the goalie with a minute and, 30 set uh, 30 seconds left on the clock late in a period when you're trailing by one very, listen very little separates these two teams and and you throw in the fact that they've played with each other professionally now they play versus each other internationally there's just so much on the line there every single time Canada and USA meet and listen they're in group a together that means they will get one round robin game Will they throw all the cards on the table in that game? And that's something that I had been pondering here during the Worlds in Calgary. With that round-robin game, okay, you've already got your quarterfinal place locked mm -hmm. up. What do you show them about themselves or yourselves? Right. So that'll, that'll be interesting for me because here, both teams put it out on the line. They were mm -hmm. just like, okay, these are our best lines. Let's just get it done. And let's go, you know, woman, a woman essentially, but I'm really curious what will happen here with the last round Robin game. And if you're going to be like, okay, these are our top players. We're starting our starting goalies. Like that to me is something that'll be the thing to watch in these Olympics. I think uh, a lot of this conversation has been Canada, USA dominant. Uh, is there another nation that, or, or in the race for third, I guess, um, who, who are the, the other nations that kind of stand out in this? Yeah. Just to answer the first part of that question, no, <laughs> uh, there is there is nobody. I thought Finland might make a run for it, but they are still quite a few strides behind. I think yeah. Finland, for Finland, the bronze is theirs to lose. But I've really liked over the years what I've seen from Switzerland. And an up-and-coming team to me is Czechia because mm. they've invested in that program. They have a couple of or they have an American born player who has Czech parents. She's come onto the team and they have a coach in Thomas Pacina who spent a lot of time here in Calgary, not only coaching the Inferno had some time with the oval extreme, like he knows a thing or two about what it takes to win. So with that kind of coaching, that kind of leadership behind the bench, they to me are, are, are a little bit of a dark horse. So that, that I think to me, Sweden has fallen behind. The Russians continue to get better. They've got their own professional league. Mm. So um, the the Asian teams are a bit of, um, I guess, a wild card mm. because they, they do have players who were born in Canada but have players who are of Asian origin, whether it be Japanese or China. As you know, China gets an automatic berth because they are the host nation. Mm -hmm. 
And so, so that's, that's interesting to me because in those okay. last few years of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, there were a couple of teams from China and they right. were made up of predominantly Chinese players. So I'm curious to see have they lost a step because unfortunately, just given with the pandemic, they haven't been able to travel and we don't really know who's who essentially right now other mm-hmm. than the last worlds. And I don't know if that's a perfect barometer because... I mean, the pandemic has just thrown everything essentially into into a hat and you're shaking it and you're wondering whose name you're going to pick. So right. it's tough to say, but those would be the the teams that I would essentially, I'm curious to see what they do. That, that's interesting because that, that was going to be my, my last question is how much do you think the pandemic has kind of halted the, the upward progression of some of these? Because we've seen like just how all over the place schedules can be and uh, with the, the IIHF kind of saying the quiet part out loud with the, the U18s uh, being cut rather quickly, um, we've yeah. seen that, that this is uh, unfortunately uh, a part of the game that gets on the chopping block relatively quickly. So um, h- how much do you think the, the pandemic and just how unpredictable it's been has kind of stopped the progression for the, the rest of the world basically in this sport? I think we're going to have to wait a couple of years to see the real answer to that question. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting with the U18s, it's not going to hurt Canada and USA as much as it's going to hurt Finland, as much as it's going to hurt those Scandinavian nations and those nations that are starting to do things. Right. We talk about, about Czechia. Uh, They're, they won't be at the Olympics, but Hungary, another team that, that Mm. took some strides, they were over at the worlds and I, I liked what I saw from them. Russia. I mean, you need these under 18 players to have an opportunity to go play best on best. They need to see what's out there. They need to see how they need to raise their game. Right. This could could put them on a road for potential scholarships, NCAA, or come to Canada and potentially play at a college or university level. Put yourself on display, perhaps for the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association or for the league that's in the U.S. Like, you need these tournaments to expose these players to these environments. Right. Listen, Canada and U.S. are going to get the opportunity to do so year in and year out at the Worlds or at a Four Nations or a rivalry series. Mm-hmm. We don't need to worry about them too much, but we need to worry about these other nations because constantly the issue with women's hockey is parity. And that's especially for people that are kind of bandwagoners that only follow women's hockey when a world shows up or when in, there's an Olympics. You need to be able to put this product on display. And with the IAHF and the organizers in Sweden just being like, oh, too bad, so sad. And not even being like, listen, maybe we can do this in the summer. Maybe we can do this in the summer. Right. It's really frustrating for somebody that's just that wants to see these players succeed and for these players and their families. I mean, I'm kind of at a loss that we talk so much about supporting and equality and all this stuff. And it was just so easy to be like, yeah, we're not doing it. Yeah. At least, at least in the release say, okay, we're going to try, we're going to try and host this somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Could you at least not humor us and say that Luke Tardy, like, hello. Right. You're not going to win anybody over by being like, well, and yet, oh, but we're going to bend over. And again, I'm not making this a guy versus girl thing. I know how the draw of the world juniors, you don't have to tell me, I love the tournament. Mm-hmm. But the fact you're like, hey, we're going to host that in the summer, but you can't do the same for the women and host a U18 tournament somewhere. Like, come yeah. on. And That's again, just a slap. Yeah. 
at again, such an important time for a, the development for these players and B, as you and I have talked about basically every time here, the women's sports as a whole is very much on the rise. And I, I thought that yeah. was one of the sports stories basically of the pandemic is like how much more people are paying attention to women's sports. And like, the, this is, uh, it's unfortunate you'd have to sell it like this because you shouldn't have to, but this is a potential money-making opportunity for the IIHF yep. on a tournament that probably wasn't much of one to begin with, you know, like that this is exactly we are now seeing when you invest in this, it can eventually pay off. So fucking do it. it well, and that's the thing. And that's, what's frustrating to me because uh, at least when I was growing up, the world juniors were a tournament. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I only started paying attention. I'm a little bit older than you, but for, for me, I started paying attention when the Flames traded for Jerome Ginla and mm. he played in the World Juniors. And I'm like, oh, this is the kid Calgary just traded for. Mm-hmm. So you, you're kind of paying attention to the World Juniors. There was no pomp and circumstance like we're seeing today. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. it, 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 And I know it's been however many decades since that happened, but you have to put something in front of somebody's face and force it down their throat for people to pay attention. And that's the reason the women's worlds are popular. That's the reason you put them on at prime time and you're watching them while you're having dinner or whatever with your family. Yeah. So give the UA teens the same opportunity. Just, I'm not saying like upstage everything, but let them play at least and, and show it, stream it. If you can't show it on, on regular TV, stream it. Don't put it on at two o'clock in the afternoon. At least put it on at five or six or seven o'clock, you know, mountain or Eastern time and and let them play and let them have their moment and experience what it's like to be at an IIHF tournament, what it's like to have to play a game every second day and get your body ready and your nutrition and dealing with the media and all that kind of stuff. Like you're just doing such a disservice to that generation and any generation that's going to come after it. Yeah. So uh, I wish it was a, a bit of a better subject to, to end on. But uh, Sandra, <laughs> you've been uh, very generous once again. Um, uh, hopefully th- this last part of the conversation changes, uh, although I, I, hope I think so. I, it might be a while, but hopefully it does someday. Uh, Sandra, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I look forward to bothering you again soon. Oh, my pleasure. You are never a bother, Peter. I'll put that to the test. <laughs> The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be, and find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. All right, thank you to Sandra Persina for stopping by. It is now time for Football and Fights Friday, and we begin uh, in the National Football League as it is now playoff time. We'll get into the playoff previews in a sec, but first, uh, a couple of notes here before we get going. The Houston Texans firing David Culley is very surprising to me and one that I can't quite figure out. Like, I don't know. I don't know what more could have been done with this roster. What more are you getting out of the Houston Texans that David Culley did not provide you? They tried, uh, which again is a low bar, but thank you to the New York Giants for setting that. They, you, you, you stuck with a young quarterback. I mean, is David Culley a perfect coach when the Houston Texans, if in their franchise, they, they are raising the Lombardi trophy, is David Culley going to be the head coach? I, I don't know, probably not. But this just, it felt like, it feels like a weird time to make this move because who for the, the top coaches that are out there, who are you beating? 
right? Like you're, you're, you're a more desirable option than the Giants. And that's about it. So I, I don't know what major upgrade you're going to get at the coaching position. And again, this a lot of people looking at the lack of minority coaches in the National Football League and a couple of black coaches get fired coming off of seasons where it seemed like they got the most out of their teams. And maybe if, if you just looked at each one in a vacuum, it's, well, I mean, you can kind of explain that away, but enough is enough when it comes to this sort of a thing. It's ridiculous the the disparity there and the disparity of expectations really and the quick trigger for one and not the other but for the Houston Texans I don't you feel bad for David Culley this is his first opportunity he really is only able to get this job because of how bad the team is and that there isn't going to be a, a bigger name out there and there isn't going to be a bigger one this time like I just I don't understand what what could possibly have gone into making this move from a Houston Texans standpoint? It, it's it's so confusing to me that Houston would make this move. And you, you hope that David Culley is able to, to land on his feet. Will he get another head coaching job right away? Probably not. And for the Houston Texans, I just, I, I'm very curious at the direction this franchise is going right now. Quickly in the CFL, the Ticats have signed Dane Evans to a new contract, basically signifying what we all knew, that Jeremiah Masoli is going to be looking for other work. And there is a lot going on with this player um, in terms of uh, potential vaccine status. It, it is unclear where he sits on that. Remember the Hamilton Tiger Cats? He, he's able to travel around with the team because they only had to travel like by bus and host the Grey Cup. So they, you, you didn't really get that test of where Jeremiah Masoli is at when it comes to vaccine status and what will that mean going into the 2022 season. And for him, he has always had the flashes that he can be the guy, but he's also had flashes that this guy can't even be a pro quarterback. And that's, it's a wide range of outcomes and a very unpredictable one. And with Dane Evans, there is a little bit more predictability there for a Hamilton Tiger Cats team that I think just needs some stability at that position as they look to take that next step from Grey Cup contender to Grey Cup champion. I thought when we, uh, going into this NFL postseason, as we are on the road to the Super Bowl, I thought we should go over the list of kind of who needs this more. I mean, obviously all these teams want it probably equally, I will suggest, but there are certainly teams that have different needs when it comes to um, winning a championship. So we'll start at the bottom and work our way up. The team that needs this Super Bowl the least is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are in full happy to be here mode. They they are the, the team at the high school tournament from the, the small school that got there because there are three teams that qualify from the region and only two teams playing in the region. So they're just stoked to be there. I've been in that sp position before. <laughs> You're just like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Wow, all these guys are really big and strong. Oh, holy shit, we're getting our asses kicked. If Pittsburgh scores 20 points in the playoffs, this is going to be considered a wild success. The next one is the Philadelphia Eagles. They are playing with house money on this for sure. Uh, you have Jalen Hurts, who has developed a little bit as a quarterback. You have three first-round picks. This was not expected to be a postseason year. There are no great expectations for the, the Philadelphia Eagles. After that, we have the Vegas Raiders. Again, a team not expected to be here. A team that has been through so much this season, as has been well-documented over the last little bit. This is just, just being here is a win for the Raiders and for their fans. Up next, the Cincinnati Bengals, who I, I think are a year further ahead in their progression than we thought they were going to be. So not a, a team that is desperate for a Super Bowl. This is a team that is on the rise. Following that, we have New England, who 
again, this was year one with a rookie quarterback. You did go out and spend a bunch. So that's why they're not in this bottom tier. I would say Cincinnati is right where the tier line kind of stops. And we go into another tier of need here in the NFL. Um, for the Patriots, it, it's the first year of Mac Jones, but Tom Brady has done his thing since leaving town. You spent a whole whack load of money on this defense. So you kind of need this to be more than just a one and done, I think. But even that, I don't know. A lot of people are assuming Buffalo is going to win this game, and I don't think a lot of Patriots fans are going to be lighting tables on fire or anything like that if that doesn't happen. Arizona is up next. Again, I think that they were a year ahead in where they started the season, but then when you look at how they started the season, this this needs to be, again, more than a one and done for them. And I uh, we'll get into picks later. I don't think it's going to be, but... This is one where you don't want to waste a great season of Kyler Murray, and that's what you've had, a great season with Kyler Murray. So you, you want this to be a bit more successful, but if it, if it doesn't end in a Super Bowl, I don't think anyone's going to be shocked. Up next is Tennessee, and the Titans, the reason I have them here, and I kind of went back and forth on them and Kansas City. For Tennessee, the reason why I feel like that the need is so great is it's never going to stack up this well for them Again, this this feels like their best shot at it. You have Derrick Henry coming back from his injury. We'll see how uh, effective he is. But for the most part, a team that's been banged up for a lot of the year is getting healthy at the right time. And the defense is playing their best football at the right time. And now you have home field advantage, uh, home field advantage throughout. This, this kind of needs to be it. For, for Tennessee. And as I'm going through this, I feel like maybe I should have put them higher on this list. Up next is Kansas City. And it's the reason they're kind of in the middle is they've already got their Super Bowl. They've been to another one. They probably should have been to another one if a dude doesn't go offside. But you, you always want to take advantage of star players in their prime, so that's why they're as high as they are. Any any year that Patrick Mahomes isn't playing for an AFC championship or for a Super Bowl is a wasted year. After that, I have San Francisco, and maybe I have them a little bit too high, but this is more for individual players. Jimmy Garoppolo needs this to be a good playoff run, as, I mean, dude's got his money, but if he wants to stay a starting quarterback in this league, this needs to be a good run for San Francisco. And I think the, the Kyle Shanahan brand has taken a big hit during this season at times, but getting them to the playoffs, now if they can win a round or two, as a lot of people are thinking they can, then I look at this as a, I look at this as an important run for San Francisco if they're able to do that. Up next is Buffalo. They have been flirting with it for so long. They are the highest team on here in the AFC. They have just been around it for so long and a fan base that is desperate for a championship. They now have the opportunity to provide that. And I just, I feel like, again, you're not going to have many more opportunities, or you can't guarantee many more opportunities like this. You, you kind of need to start to take advantage of these. So the last four are in the NFC. First, it is uh, Tampa Bay. You have Tom Brady. You don't know how much longer you are going to have Tom Brady. You just won it last year, so that's why they're below the other three NFC teams. Dallas, after that, at some point... Dak Prescott's got to do some winning when it comes to playoff time. Mike McCarthy has got to do some winning when it comes to playoff time with this team. Jerry Jones, again, a team that has looked like they've been close for a while, but realistically hasn't been that close to a championship yet. They need to get a lot done here um, in this postseason to, to kind of justify a lot of this. Up next, the LA Rams. They make a big move to go get Matthew Stafford. It, it has looked like it worked at times, and at other times it has looked like it hasn't. The... 
shine has come off just a touch on Sean McVay. A lot of people still view him as one of the, the smarter coaches in the league. But if this is a one and done for the LA Rams, then that's that's a potential issue. I, I think that this team, to justify giving up all of these picks and making all of these moves and going about it this way, needs to have a big one. And number one is Green Bay. I think the reasons are pretty obvious. You had all of the drama surrounding Aaron Rodgers last year, and that was on a team that went to the NFC title game and was within a possession of winning that NFC title game. If there is still a possibility, if this doesn't go well, Aaron Rodgers heads out of town and we've seen what's behind him. I think that makes Green Bay the number one team in terms of need in this postseason. So before we get into the picks, um, into the the, the uh, gambling portion of this, just going to do, uh, you know what, let's do game by game breakdown, um, or the, the bracket breakdown, excuse me, hit the microphone, um, at the end. So first, uh, Vegas Raiders taking on Cincinnati. My pick, I, I went back and forth on this one a lot, I go Vegas plus five and a half. The last game between these two teams on the scoreboard decidedly goes to the Bengals, but it was a close game late. The Raiders were unable to stop the run. I have concerns about that again in this game. I also have concerns about the health of Joe Burrow as he sits out the final game of the regular season. They didn't have anything to play for, but he was also hobbling the last time we saw him on the field. With the pass rush the Raiders are able to generate, that could definitely be a concern. And also, how patient is this Cincinnati offense going to be? Because you have a Raider team that is able to get a lot of pressure just rushing for, will will Joe Burrow hold on to the ball a little bit too long looking for those big plays to Jamar Chase? I think that is a very interesting matchup. I think the Bengals win this game, but I think the Raiders keep it close. New England taking on Buffalo. The pick is Buffalo minus four and a half. I just don't see New England being able to keep up with the Buffalo Bills. I think the Bills have unlocked Josh Allen and all the potential that he has, and I believe that this is a Bills offense that is just going to be able to outscore New England, and I think New England gets down, and we've seen when they fall behind, this offense just doesn't have enough to get it going. Uh, Listening to the Move the Six podcast, they were talking about, like, who's the player of the game if this game goes New England's way? Ramondre Stevenson, if he's around, like, 150 yards, then the New England Patriots are probably moving on to the next round. But I I just, I don't see it happening to this Bills team again. Philadelphia taking on Tampa Bay. Man, this feels like I'm getting a bit too cute. I got the Eagles covering in this. In no way is this a pick of Tampa Bay winning this football game. But I think... Tampa Bay's strength is stopping runs up the middle. The Eagles don't really do that. The Eagles, when, after they played Tampa Bay, have kind of adjusted their strategy a little bit. They, they aren't just a, a run-it-straight-up-the-middle team. They, they are more to the outsides, and that's where Tampa Bay has actually had some struggles. So I think the Eagles are, A, able to take off a big chunk clock in this game. And because of that, I think they're able to keep this one within a touchdown. So I think the Eagles cover this one again. I think Tampa Bay wins. And this isn't one that if I lose, I'm going to have to do a whole lot of introspection on and self-scouting. Like, oh, how did I, how did I miss this one? I went against Tom Brady with Jalen Hurts. That That's going to be the downfall of this pick if it doesn't necessarily go my way. San Francisco taking on Dallas. This has been the trendy underdog pick of the week, and I am going with it. San Francisco plus three. I think they are peaking at the right time. I think the key matchup in this game is Diggs on Debo Samuel, and I feel like 
while Diggs has been very aggressive in getting interceptions, he's also, according to Pro Football Focus, one of the worst tacklers in the league. Debo Samuel is one of the best at breaking tackles in the league. I think Debo was able to take advantage of this matchup and put together a very strong game. I think this is going to be a very big Debo Samuel game. The main thing, Jimmy Garoppolo cannot turn the football over. If he does that, the San Francisco 49ers are done. But I think this is going to be a win for San Francisco, and I think there's going to be a lot of questions asked in Dallas after this game is done. Kansas City taking on Pittsburgh. I wrote down Kansas City before I even saw the point spread. I didn't care what it was. I was taking Kansas City. I think this offense lights up the Pittsburgh Steelers, a good Pittsburgh Steelers defense, but Ben Roethlisberger is not keeping this game close. I, I think Kansas City runs away with it. And then Monday night, may I just say, I hate that there's a Monday night playoff game. And I mean, we're, we're predicting an upset in one of the games, so it's not going to play out this way necessarily. But if the top seeds all win, then you have the Rams playing on a short week, taking on a Packers team that already had the bye. It just, uh, I, I hate that there is this Monday night game. I, I get teams have to adjust to Monday night football week in, week out. But whenever we are looking at the schedule going into the next week, one of the games you look at is, oh, okay, well, this team played on Monday night, so there's a little bit of a, a knockdown for them. The schedule should not create that much of a competitive imbalance in the postseason, in my opinion. I get why they are doing it. I just hate it. But we do have it. It is the Rams taking on the Cardinals. I have the Rams minus four. I think the the Cardinals offense has taken a significant hit without DeAndre Hopkins. And I think the defense has been exposed when Chandler Jones isn't running in a quarterback's face. He's obviously still there and still a problem. But if the Rams are able to kind of hinder that, I think they are able to, to get this one done. The other thing, we saw Seattle expose the secondary last week when the Cardinals needed that win. You're telling me that this offense can't do that? I think the Rams are going to have their troubles, but I, I think they end up coming away with uh, the win covering four. So let's do the, uh, the the bracket here real quick. In the AFC, we have all the favorites winning. So it's Tennessee um, in the next round. They get the bye. Kansas City, Buffalo, and the Bengals. So if the predictions hold, it is Tennessee taking on Cincinnati. In the division round, I like Tennessee in that game. And then it's Kansas City taking on the Bills. I like Kansas City in that game. So the AFC title game, very chalk here. It's one versus two. It's Kansas City against the Titans. I think Kansas City gets it done. I, I just think they figured things out defensively. The offense is too good. I think Kansas City goes into Tennessee and picks up a win. So they are the AFC representative. In the NFC, I have the Bucks, the 49ers, and the Rams. So that means it is Packers against 49ers in the divisional round. And I am very much going Packers on that one. And then it is Bucks against Rams in the divisional round. Uh, round. I will go with the Rams there. I just don't think that Tampa Bay secondary is good enough to limit the options that the LA Rams have. And then you have the Rams going into Lambeau to take on the Green Bay Packers. There's a little bit of me that is being stubborn on this because my preseason pick was Kansas City taking on the Rams in the Super Bowl, but I will stick with that. I think the Rams go into Lambeau and continue the frustration of the Green Bay Packers. The close, but not close enough. I think the Rams win there. So I think the Super Bowl is still Kansas City taking on the L.A. Rams. 
Before we get to the fighting portion, um, the University of Georgia are national champions in college football for the first time in 40 years. And what a game it was. What a play to to kind of close things out with the, the defense coming up big. This Georgia team, holy crap. I think I heard a stat. They had more four and five star recruits um, or more five star recruits than the entire Pac-12. Like this, that team, talk about winning a game when you step off the bus. Holy crap, the athletes on that team. And someone pointed out, I believe it was on uh, the right time with Bomani Jones. They said, did you notice how everyone talking about the underdog story of Stetson Bennett? They were saying, what an underdog story you, Stetson Bennett, are. Not this team. Because you look around this team, none of those dudes have been underdogs at any point in their life. They, they, these are the, the alpha-ist of alpha males. These are gigantic, quick human beings. There is a chance we look back at this Georgia team as one of the most talented teams we have seen in college football. I'm still partial to the 01 Hurricanes, but there's probably been a couple of teams since then, too. But everyone was talking about, like, you, Stetson Bennett, you are the underdog. This team, not the underdog, but no one thought you could do it, even with these guys around you. Um, so good for him for getting that. They went very much into that story. But holy crap, Georgia, the, the recruiting job they did, getting all of those talented football players in there and, and all of those amazing athletes in there, it really just shows, once again, the gap between the SEC and everyone else is a whole lot bigger than everyone else wants to admit. Moving into the Ultimate Fighting Championship, as we close the show today, we have an Ultimate Fight Night card from the UFC Apex. It is Calvin Cater taking on Giga Chikadze. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong. Um, th this is your main event fight. Only a couple fights that really interest me on this card. I'll probably watch the whole thing uh, as I'm trying to be a bit more focused on the fights here in 2022. But for Cater, he's 22-5, and five, coming off of a unanimous decision loss back in January of 2021 when Max Holloway put it on this poor fellow. I'm interested to see what version of Calvin Cater comes out in this one. That ended a two-fight win streak where he beat Dan Ige and Jeremy Stevens. Uh, Chikadze comes in at 14-2, nine wins by knockout, including a TKO win over Edson Barbosa back in August. He's on a nine-fight win streak. He has finished five, including his last three. I think Cater is a live dog in this fight. I, I have very much liked Calvin Cater's style of fighting for a long time. Chikadze is a bit of a Terminator, though, and like can knock your lights out at any second. But I, I do think that the last impression we have of Calvin Cater is Max Holloway putting it on him. And I think this year break is going to be a good thing for Calvin Cater where he is able to kind of assess that fight and see how does he get to that level. I think Cater's a live dog here. I, I'm very interested in this fight. Uh, another person who I think really needs a big performance this weekend is Caitlin Chukagian as she fights Jennifer Maya in a rematch of a fight from, I believe, 2019. She... Her last two losses have been to Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andrade, and no one is going to fault you for losing to those two women. However, A, she wasn't close at any point. She lost every moment of all of those fights. B, her fights and her performances in wins around those don't give you the confidence that she is going to be able to step up against the higher against the upper echelon. So if Chukagian wants to work her way back into title contention, she needs an impactful victory, I believe, over Jennifer Maya this weekend. Also, it is just cool to see Court McGee on a card. Um, it, it, the last few fights have not gone well for him. I think he is 2-5 and five in his last seven. He won his last fight, but that means he was 1-5 in his last six going into that fight. So, ugh. But 
uh, an amazing story. Someone who has been through a lot in his life, I, I believe legally dead or close to it at one point, and then um, able to to fight fight his demons, overcome addiction, and is now continuing to thrive in the UFC. Even if uh, he, he's never going to challenge for a, a UFC title, this is someone who just is winning at life, and you just love to see that. That's going to do it for the show today. Thank you to Clearwater Cleaning Solutions for being the studio sponsor. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is running a competition. They've decided to sponsor one lucky winner with one month of free singing lessons with Sing It. All you have to do is email a video of why you should win and a snippet of you singing your favorite song to Adele at clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. That's Adele, A-D-E-L-E at clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. Send it to her before January 31st of this year year. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can get at me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. I hope you guys enjoy the football this weekend, enjoy the fights this weekend, enjoy whatever you're doing this weekend, and I'll talk to y'all on Monday. I'm out.